The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Shall we begin? Let's begin. What are the key ingredients of a good spy movie? Surveillance, deception, and secrecy. Moves, countermoves, the careful use of disinformation, and even more careful analysis of exactly how your enemy reacts, and never letting them know what you know about what they know. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. Not all mafia movies are spy movies, obviously. But when the plot revolves entirely on deep cover law enforcement agents infiltrating the ranks of organized crime, what else are you going to call that? We're talking the tradecraft of 2006's Best Picture winner, The Departed, in this episode of Spies Like Us. So Dave, you tell me, why is a mafia movie showing up in our spy movie podcast? Well, uh, at the beginning of the movie, it kind of feels like uh, coming of age, like, you know, a typical... Scorsese starting out as a kid, but probably around a third of the movie, the trade crap really starts kicking in because it's not just an undercover movie, you know, and not just a detective movie. It's really about two moles going after each other, and there's tons of trade craft. Uh, the feds get involved, there's surveillance, there's like mind games, there's burying meals, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot. And, and there's actually a lot of information that uh, both main characters need to get to get the, the, the mole. Yeah, and, dis, and disinformation. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would argue that any movie that uh, has its plot centered around uh, a deep cover agent infiltrating an organization, which is what you know, a lot of uh, movies are. Uh, Donnie Brasco was, was once on our list. Yeah. But, um, you know, and we don't want to do, we don't want to open the gate to let every movie that is about, uh, you know, FBI infiltrating the mob into our stable. But this one's pretty special because, like you say, the craft is pretty rich. And, it, and especially the fact that it goes both ways. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Costello's got his mole in in the in law enforcement, and law yep. enforcement's got their yeah. It's a it's a cool movie. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> tell me what it was based on, or tell me start. Tell me that it's a two thousand six film that was based on Infernal Affairs. It's a two thousand six film, uh, contemporary for the time, but it was based on two thousand two's Infernal Affairs, which is a Chinese film. Um, specifically Hong Kong. Let's make that distinction. Right, right. Specifically Hong Kong. Uh, we'll discuss this more in detail later, but just uh, spoilers. Um, it's the same movie. It it's, is an yeah. It's a very very similar movie. Yeah. Um, we want to give Infernal Affairs like its own time. Yeah, we got some time set aside for that at the end of the episode, but we just wanted to flag it like like right now just just mention that i was really surprised uh i'm even a bit skeptical to find out that uh you know i read that scorsese didn't even he didn't know that it was based on a hong kong movie when he first got the script 
and also that he says that he didn't he refused to watch infernal affairs uh until he'd finished making the departed right uh which is kind of odd considering all of the scenes are in it i mean there's some few uh differences that are kind of plot wise significant but for the most part all of the cool uh tradecraft and uh surveillance moments that, that like there's literally like dialogue literally ripped out so whoever made the script clearly saw it and maybe scorsese uh uh does uh is being honest when he didn't see it yeah, well, I mean, it's understandable that he wouldn't want to want to watch it. But some of the things make me wonder. I'll, I'll just pull one of my, out of my ass real quick. Like the the death of our hero, and you have the the elevator doors like closing, trying to close on his body. That's yeah. not usually that's not usually something that is in the script, you know. It, it can be, but yeah, it's it's generally not. So it's 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 odd that he wouldn't have seen it. It lands Scorsese his uh, first and only Best Director win, which yep. is a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it also made made me have to wonder what it was that beat Taxi Driver back in 1976. I went back and checked, and it was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I definitely, oh. definitely well, can't argue. Definitely can't argue with that. Yeah, but I mean, like we're going full circle with Jack Nicholson now. He's probably been waiting forever to get Jack Nicholson in one of his movies. <laughs> It that's, is, what, that's what he needed. He was just needed Jack to get that Oscar. There you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. Jack Nicholson is like, hey, Marty, let me show you how it's done. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, is, um, it is not, I don't know, it's, it, it kind of swung wildly for me, The Departed. I remember really liking it in the theaters and being really excited to, to watch it again when it came out on video. And on my first watch on video i was strangely just felt very let down i felt like uh it i don't know it just felt like it's really just kind of walked through by the numbers and nothing was all that exciting to me right um, i like it much more after watching it several times with you uh in preparation for this podcast but i still feel like maybe it's missing something i can't put necessarily put my finger on it of what would make it for me you know on the todd scale of of rewatchability like a truly evergreen film oh uh, yeah i mean i could i could watch it again um but we've kind of torn it apart i i really enjoyed it but yeah with the, with the infernal affairs watch it kind of kind of put a little thorn in a little for me but I, think, I, I think they're I, both really good films. Oh yeah, yeah. I get the feeling overall you 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 like Infernal Affairs a bit better. I I think it's got more human moments, but uh, I think Scorsese tightened it up to make it really Oscar worthy. Um, there's there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed off, but I think a lot of that fat makes things more human. Well, Infernal Affairs was an enormous Hong Kong hit. Of course, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't write down the numbers in my notes, but you know, obviously, like The Departed makes like a bazillion dollars more, but that's a Hollywood movie. But in context, like uh, Infernal Affairs was was massive in Hong Kong and and for mainland China uh, uh-huh. audiences, 
and it had some like it had some the the main actors in it uh even though we're not super familiar with them like they're they're huge over there this yeah. was this this was like this was like seeing like well i mean for us well it would be like as if you put jack nicholson and leonardo dicaprio and matt damon in a movie yeah. <laughs> so i you know i'll mention i Scorsese, my my top three, my top three like uh, indispensable Scorsese movies would be Goodfellas at number one, Gangs of New York for personal reasons. Maybe it's not necessarily his best, but I just really, really, really love the setting and the yeah. the, the period aspects of that. Like it had so, a lot of atmosphere to it. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so it's so great to see uh, a period of history that I felt had never been really properly mined in terms of, uh, you know, uh, making films about it. It felt like, it felt like a period of history that uh, was missing from our textbooks when we were in high school. Yeah. (laughs) And of course it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to see, you know, Martin playing around with his, his, clear love of new york that he has um, absolutely yeah but uh you know taking it back to back in the day and of course there's taxi driver taxi driver's always going to be there um, absolutely you can't leave out taxi driver i had um i had also when i when i looked now again departed best picture it's best picture of 2006 it's best director uh it's best adapted screenplay i think it wins a handful of other uh, awards with that, um, but I'll just throw out like 2006 films I personally liked better. Uh, those would be Apocalypto. You ever see that one? No, but I've, I don't know. I, I get mixed feelings with uh, Mel Gibson films. Yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, okay. But uh, sep- sep- separate that. Definitely put put Apocalypto on your list. It's gonna okay. blow you. It's gonna blow you away. Okay. It is it is like a movie that stands alone in its own genre. It's it's right. a really really unique film uh-huh. that you know how like uh, you know just like you know they say like there's nothing new under the sun and every movie is like a version of some other movie that was made before it right or something like Apocalypto is one of those movies that you look at it and you say. This is this is I've I've never seen this before. <laughs> yeah, and of course you know a film like Apocalypto is never going to be in the running for Best Picture for a lot of reasons, no matter how. Good it is. <laughs> um, right. And you know my my other favorites I think like kind of show my sensibilities from 2006. They're also movies that you wouldn't expect to get Oscar attention. Those would be Brick and uh, Children. Oh, of Man. I loved Brick. Brick and Children of Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about you? Any other favorite movies of 2006? Specifically, any movies you from 2006 you like better than The Departed? Um, I'm not sure that I like Break better than The Departed, but I definitely liked uh, Children of Men more than Departed. Um, but uh, it's hard for me to remember. Well, we had Good Shepherd, so that's for sure. Right, because that's, that's just one of your favorites of all time, right? Period, yeah. And then... Uh, my favorite anime director put out Paprika, and uh, he actually had died recently after that. 
We're still waiting on our last movie. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Wait that's a second. Got... Paprika? What's that? That is an anime by Satoshi Kon. That's also the source material for uh, Christopher Nolan's the or Inception. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's what influenced Inception. The, the idea of going into people's dreams. Um, so other spy movie, we also get Casino Royale. That oh, same shit. Year. Oh yeah. well, shit. Oh yeah. Well, I also I also put that above Departed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh, Borat was that year, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not hearing a lot of like super strong contenders, at least from us, from our favorite movies to to beat it for a you know best picture in an Oscar kind of right. uh, situation. Right. But this is uh, yeah, this is Scorsese too, like. Right square in the middle of his five film streak of collaboration with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, apparently one of the most financially successful collaborations of all time. Oh, wow. Their films have a total of, oh, save the wow for this. Their films have a total of $1.3 in earnings. Oh, geez. Yeah, that's like. You run, you run your small country on that kind of yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, nothing to sneeze at. Speaking of speaking of Leo, uh, I wanted to I wanted to flag kind of a funny thing about like to me about 2006. Where now I'm I'm gonna I I'm not I don't want to describe this as like. DiCaprio is having like any kind of delayed puberty or, or anything like that, but he was really <laughs> what? what what I'm trying to say is like he really kind of kept his boyish good looks uh, well into his twenties. I, I see what you mean, yeah. Like like well into his twenties. I'm not exact. I should have checked how old he is when he does this, but this 2006, and he also has Blood Diamond um, right. this year of 2006 and my girlfriend was going nuts over blood diamond and previously up until that point like uh johnny depp was her big like celebrity squeeze uh -huh. 2006 was the year that she officially like super officially changed that the the holder of that title to Leonardo DiCaprio and she kept going on and on about like how like his jawline had come in and she just kept talking about like how like you know I used to you know I used to think he was cool or whatever but he's a little boy you know he's a little boy he's not that attractive and all of a sudden she was like oh my god now this this is a man this right. is a man that I want to have sexy times with right right <laughs> I could see that I mean, he, he did kind of keep that young face for a while, you know, between Romeo and Juliet and Basketball Diaries and Titanic and stuff. This is kind of, I guess, one of the first times you really see him as like a gritty, like kind of, uh, you know, man, like that first young man type of step. And Gangs of New York, where he kind of takes over his dad, you know. I, I could see I could see what she's saying. Right, yeah. But yeah, Gangs in New York, I still think he looks like a like a, a young a young guy. You know, oh, okay. very very much. Like a young guy. And and here I think he's he's really stepping into his uh his maturity as a like I think 
starting with starting around now, you can start fitting him into roles that wouldn't have necessarily been as suitable to him before. Right. Like you, you couldn't like the 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 Leo DiCaprio of Titanic, for instance. Uh-huh. Couldn't you couldn't have cast him in Blood Diamond? That oh would be, yeah, that would be no. ridiculous. You couldn't yeah, yeah. cast him in Departed. Right. Everyone right, would right. say like, "Who's this little fucking ant?" Like, yeah. yeah. Her <laughs> right. <laughs> Titanic's Leo DiCaprio is definitely not tuning up some uh, some. Uh, what do you call them? Some well, some Italians from right. uh, from from the other shore, or whatever. Uh-huh. But uh, moving on to just, I want to talk about some of the other talent here. Uh, it is worth mentioning and kind of sad. Like this, this is probably Nicholson's. I mean, it's probably. I, it's it looks like it's his last major role. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe forever. The right. guy, the guy might be retired at this point. We have not heard, we haven't had any Nicholson for ten years now, not since two thousand ten. And on IMDb, there's nothing in production. I don't hear any news. Other about than what, like bucket list or something? Bucket list. I saw that one, but you know, do you, do you really count that as a as a major major role? Well, it's kind of like when you get into that actors get into that age. You know, like with Jack Lemon and uh, uh, Walter Matthau doing like grumpy old men, you got to do like the the older roles now. You know, where uh, you, you've kind of gotten to that period in your career. You know, th- there's always these gaps. You know what I mean? You got like the young boy, you know, or young woman, and then you get a gap, and you got kind of like you know the the young to middle aged adult. You know, right. and then you and get you a know, gap. Like they say, and like they the retired. They, like there's the saying in Shakespeare, and I don't know the exact reference, but like you know, you start your career playing Romeo, right, and you end your career playing Lear. Well, yeah, and that happened with uh, Les Mis. Um, uh, Leah Salonga played Eponine when she was very young because she was uh, Miss Saigon, and then when they did the big anniversary in London. Samantha Barks played Eponine and Leah Salonga played uh, the mom, uh, Cosette's mom or whatever. So, yeah, that, that definitely happens all the time. Funny enough, Anne Hathaway played the mom in the movie. Sorry, okay. for, the, sorry for the random musical sure, trivia. No, no, we're we're talking about spy films. <laughs> I don't know. We're talking French Revolution and Les Mis, so it's not, we're not that far off. And, and we're talking about Bastin, you know, with the departed. You know, we're, we're talking about, like, the... Police revolution against the mafia, I guess. Whatever, I'm drawn for straws. <laughs> I, 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 I can hear the crickets from here. <laughs> so yeah, but it is. It feels weird. It feels weird seeing ten years of no Nicholson. Yeah. Um, you know, a uh, little piece of trivia. Uh, only Nicholson and Michael Caine are the only two actors that uh, have been nominated for best actor in every decade. From the 1960s to well, the, yes, 2010. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so Michael Caine, Michael Caine, like jump, jump in and grab another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, he's 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 all best supporting at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, Nicholson was heavily involved in in shaping the role, and I even think 
I'm not even sure if the script, you know, the adapted script from Infernal Affairs, which obviously occurs, like, happens in Hong Kong, I'm not even sure the original script, the, the script adaptation was meant to be in Boston. Because I know that Jack Nicholson was heavily involved in, you know, uh, saying, like, okay, I'm going to take this role, but we really, I'm not going to play a cardboard cutout villain. I really want to put a right. lot of work into developing this guy. And uh, some of his ideas were what inspired the scriptwriter to go back and uh, retune the character of Costello oh. to to be uh, kind of based on the Whitey Bulger character from history. Well, that's a very that's a major improvement from Infernal Affairs because the the bad guy the the ana- uh, analogous character was a very boring character. He was definitely a cardboard cutout villain. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, you know, good instincts on Nicholson. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, and he did a lot of improvisation, which, you know, he's been friends with Marty for, like, 30 years, apparently. And apparently, you know, I mean, obviously, everyone's going to respect Nicholson's choices and and take his notes and, uh, you know, but apparently he, like, rewrote a whole bunch of his own scenes and lines, which uh, I think is really cool, you know, for an actor. You got also, you know, I hear, the, like, some actors don't like to work that way. Um, I think, like, Meryl Streep is kind of famous for uh, being an actor that uh, will not touch the script. Like, they just bring what is in the script to life a hundred percent as an actor. And there was some story about like, uh, you know, like just an example story of some film, like the director was like, you know, like, go ahead, like, just kind of, you know, do your thing, like have fun with it, make it your own. And she was like, what? I got to fucking write it too. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's talk about this Whitey Bulger guy. Too though, in case because I know you weren't familiar with him. I don't. No, I wasn't. It was it was really interesting. But um, uh, he's a he's he's a big deal in in uh when we say mafia, we're not necessarily talking Italians, right? Well, no, the, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's organized crime. Let's just call it that. Like, I don't think this it had a mafia structure. But it wasn't like the mafia. Like it wasn't like Russian or Italian or Armenian or Jewish or Irish or whatever. It was a guy who ran organized crime ring. So I, I guess you could kind of say it's mafia. Right. Uh, but he's uh, he's um, he was very successful for a long time. And guess why? It's because he had a fucking mole in the in the FBI. It is, or maybe it was the Boston. No, he was an FBI informant, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not. Sh- I forget exactly who his guy uh, actually worked for. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was the FBI, and they had grown up together, as opposed to like in in this movie where Whitey Bulger kind of groomed this Southie kid. Uh, you know, the Matt Damon character into right. going into the PD. These were uh, him, the real Whitey Bulger and his FBI mole uh, were two guys that had grown up together, like as oh, kids okay. in, in the same project. Right. And, you know, that's really interesting too. Like, um, 
where like this movie as well as like some of the other movies that I don't think we've talked about yet but but plan to um address this prop this well in the case of uh, in the case of Bulger and his guy that was just a plain case of I've got a mole in the FBI like we're working in tandem Right. But it, in a lot of these cases, you know, like, it, I feel like it, it kind of can grow organically where you get, uh, you know, you have your informant on the other side. You start um, getting information from them. Okay, that's right. cool. That's very helpful. You're right. also kind of, though, in danger of getting into a feedback loop symbiotic relationship where you're also giving them information because you know like in uh in good tradecraft you you always want to protect your source right right but at some point you can you can cross this line from protecting an informant to actually aiding and abetting that informant and at that point you're kind of becoming a, almost like a kingmaker, or at least attempting to be. You're choosing, you know, because Whitey Bulger was basically passing his guy, uh, you know, all the bad information about what the Italians were doing, because the Italians right. were <clears throat> Bulger's enemies, his rivals. Right. right. And, you know, every time Bulger got in trouble, the FBI guy would, like, uh, let him know about it and keep his but out of trouble. Right. And, and at this point, the, the, you know, you're not control. You're not, it, it, it comes down to at some point, it's not just them working for you. You're also working for them and you can cross a line to where you're actually maybe working for them even more than they're working for you. Right. And it is like kind of a King making situation. Cause like in the film, uh, Costello was handing information about Italian mob guys. And that just killed competition for him. So that made him grow bigger. You know, it's kind of like an ecosystem, right? You know, like uh, the, what was it when the, they introduced wolves into the Yellowstone, it completely changed and the, the foliage grew back and a bunch of species came back because the deers were overrunning it because there were no wolves. So they just dropped wolves in and it completely changed the landscape and made things better. So by pulling out the wolf, I guess the competition, it helped... Costello gets stronger, so the like you were saying, FBI is basically king making at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, final interesting tidbit about Bulger that we have to mention. Um, now he was, now he was, uh, you know, uh, when he was finally convicted, I think he was convicted of like nine murders. Uh, he was definitely uh, considered one of the most bloodthirsty and murderous gangsters uh, in American history. Uh, in fact, when he went into hiding, and uh, he managed to elude pursuit for 16 years, and during that time he spent time, uh, I think a lot of it, as uh, number two on America's most wanted list right behind Osama bin Laden. Oh, gee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, I don't think he was, I, I think Jack tweaks it up, a little farther in 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 the movie. I, I'm not sure. You know that scene with the severed hand, right? 
Right. That's really like unsettling. And, uh, you know, the scene later where he's just like, which I, I fucking love that touch where, uh, later in the movie where he's meeting Leo in the bar and, you know, we know that he's like after trying to find the rat and he just shows oh, up his, his shirt sleeves are pulled yeah. up and he's just, he's just covered in blood. From, just inexplicably from... like this. <laughs> you can probably imagine, you know, but it, it, they just don't expect, I love that. That's one of my favorite moments actually, where it's just like, okay. This is a thing he does. He just gets bloodied up. But the fact is, uh, in 1956, when serving his first term in federal prison, uh, Bulger was involved in the MK Ultra program. Oh, really? That was the one. That was the CIA program. Uh, yeah. The goal of which was to research the mind control. Mind, yep. Yeah. Mind control. And they uh, uh, they like slipped LSD into unsuspecting people, uh, right? And uh, I, I think the bulk of it, they were using prostitutes to slip into their customers or their patrons or whatever you call them. Jesus. Uh, yeah. And that's you say that's all covered in wormwood, which... which... No. Hey, not all of it's covered in wormwood. There's the one story, there was a scientist, and I think he was a CIA scientist, they all went on a cabin trip and like slipped some LSD in his drink and the guy went crazy and he became a liability and he quote unquote jumped out of a building. But uh, I'll leave you guys to watch the documentary to see that all unfold. In this case, in this case, what they were doing was going uh, into this federal penitentiary and uh, finding 19 inmates who volunteered for reduced sentences uh, in exchange for being test subjects, which is incredibly unethical right and Bulger in many ways uh you know and they found notebooks too like uh, along along the way but uh Bulger described that whole uh scenario of his life as being nightmarish and that uh like he never got over it and and just really like drove him insane and uh he felt like just terrorized and and paranoid all the time and you know it's you know it's it's possible that uh you know i i'm i'm sure bulger i mean i'm sure he was already like destined for uh a life of crime but we can't say for sure and not trying to let him off the hook but but maybe he wouldn't maybe some of his more murderous and and twisted impulses, uh, you know, wouldn't have come to the fore if he hadn't been experimented on like that. The right. jury, the jury that convicted him, definitely said that. Like, because that evidence was not admitted in court, and afterwards, several of them said that they would have not voted to convict if they had known about the experiments, or they would have used uh, what's it called uh, an affirmative defense. That, yeah, he committed the crime, but it was due to reason, due to insanity or something. They they probably would have voted that way. <clears throat> yeah, I I don't know the details of the case, but I I would definitely have uh, if I was his lawyer, I definitely would have gone for insanity. But there's probably a lot of reasons and a lot of lawyerly uh, manipulation, and maybe the CIA was even involved in quashing that and making sure that that evidence was not available to be presented. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, the damage he did probably was so severe. I, I, I guess it's kind of, 
understandable. Are you like, what are you doing? Up? Like, this wasn't like a guy that slipped up once. This guy ran a whole crime ring, like manipulated the FBI, probably murdered a bunch of people. <clears throat> like, you know, the damage is done to him as well as to other people. That's kind of a weird. I, I, I mean, neither of us are attorneys, so that's 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 a that's an interesting moral dilemma right there. Do you, as a judge, do you allow that evidence or not? Because that that would heavily sway the jury. Uh, you know, well, we also got to think of the victims. You know, what remember, I mean? you know, remember it's a federal case, and so uh, since it's a federal case, that means that uh, you know you you get a lot of you, that judge can be leaned on a lot by. Uh, you know, people in the United States government, you know, by the FBI and right. possibly, you know, by the CIA that wouldn't, which I'm, I'm super speculating there, but, but, you know, I don't want to say the CIA went in there and, and tampered with that shit, right. but you know, it's, it's the feds, it's the federal government. They've got reasons to keep that shit and it's a federal judge, you right. know, so well, and not to mention the liability. If in court that's brought up as evidence, that then now you have a lawsuit against the government that they've probably already paid out of. But they, that that wormwood, they had to pay out the the son, the the family of that guy. They they got a payment for that. So Dave, I'm having so much fun talking about Whitey Bulger with you. I really am. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that the the that that twist of inspiring that character, putting that Whitey Bulger uh, twist onto the character uh, that comes originally from the Infernal Affairs script is one of the major reasons The Departed is, like, so cool. Yeah. But uh, we, we're, we're overdue for the briefing room. Yeah. Before we get there, just simple, quick shout-out. Uh, we're so happy that uh, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Gets yeah. a, <laughs> right. He, does, he doesn't win it, but he gets a best supporting actor for this film, and that that just it lights a little candle in my heart. I'm yeah. happy, I'm so happy for Mark that he got yeah. that that little bit of recognition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he definitely stole the spotlight for most of that film. Hey, the story itself, the acting, owns, the character he owns every, already... Yeah, he owns every scene that he's in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's it, yeah, he's amazing. It's great. So he, he definitely deserved it for that role. And it's not that I'm a huge Marky Mark fan yeah. in, in necessarily, but you know, I wish him well and he definitely deserved it because dude, he brought, he brought, he brought everything. Like he brought the best of himself to this role and it was super fun to watch. Hell yeah. <laughs> right. Uh Oh, all right. They're calling us. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. The setup of the movie is pretty simple. Uh, <clears throat> we have, you know, a guy that wanted to be a cop, but his whole family's involved in organized crime. His uncle was busted for selling guns. His mom and dad are dead. He's by himself, and his entire family is all crime related. And Matt Damon's character was met by Costello or Jack Nicholson when he was a child. So he helped him 
climb the ladder and keep a clean record so that he could get in as a police officer and pretty much be valedictorian of the academy and you know be uh you know sparkly clean records and it's basically nicholson that helps him get promoted there's a synergy there it's not just that uh matt damon's given information to uh costello but also he's getting um tips from costello that are helping him advance his his police career and making him look like a goddamn superstar yeah and that way he could climb the ladder really fast and with leo because of his past they instead offer him an undercover cop role and i think they singled him out for for good reasons in that like because it's a he's he's got a i mean i hate to say it a good situation because it's tragic for the character but his mom and his dad and his uncle are dead right like there's nobody there's nobody to check in on them with about like his status but while they were alive they were considered to be like you know uh trustworthy you know not not necessarily in the gangster lifestyle but uh you know stand up guys well his dad was a cop wasn't he but i don't know i don't think so yeah i think either that or his grandfather or something He, he had police in his family somewhere but most of his other family were all crime related i know it's stated that his uncle because this is marky mark when he's playing like super fucking tough ass on leo which is such which is such a great like because we just literally saw matt damon like walk out you know they were like super nice to him yeah and el caps comes in and fucking marky's like reading him the riot act and calling him a piece of shit yeah he basically demeans him and like shits all over him it's an interesting uh, approach to, to recruiting an undercover. Well, it's great because you, re- you really want to see if this guy, you really want to see how this guy handles under pressure. 100%. Like, right before you even tell him there is a job to yeah. do, let's find that out. Right. But I brought it up because this is where I know that uh, his uncle was, like, running guns. Um, but later in the movie, you know, like, El Caps asks Costello, like, did my dad ever like you know dabble in the mob stuff or whatever? And right. and Costello says no. And he's like, your dad would come and try and kill me, and he'd kill through a bunch of guys just to get to me. He also said the same thing about his uncle that neither his dad or his uncle would be happy that he was sitting there with him. Right, <clears throat> but but not because they were goody two shoes kind of guys, but just because they were kind of like go it alone, not gangsters but bad guys who you didn't you still didn't want to fuck with right and definitely like people from from the neighborhood you know yeah yeah so he's got the you know it's good spy points on them for identifying this guy who's got the right credentials that but that can't actually be interrogated anymore because they're say it with me (laughs) <laughs> I didn't I actually didn't notice until my last check uh for my notes that it was uh Costello that left the note. Yeah. On it was on, signed by him, yeah. Right. Which uh which yeah, that's interesting, you know. So, you know, we know that the the families, you know, they that they they know each other and so that's why they they trust Leon and I think that's well handled by the movie. Yeah, and like when Matt Damon is questioning people in the neighborhood, no one knows anything or says anything. It's kind of like a very tight neighborhood, especially bullied by the local crime. 
yeah, they definitely like you know they got the whole like you know uh, uh, even the people that aren't connected are still like you know under the whole like uh, you know vow of silence. Like, yeah. What, what happens in the neighborhood stays in the neighborhood. Get out of here, you fucking pigs. Yeah. Um, and the first, you know, the whole first third third of the movie. Especially the Matt Damon stuff, like you know when he's when he's a kid, and God God bless him for finding that that kid that looks exactly the way you think that Matt Damon would have looked as a kid. Yeah, looks um, exactly like him. That first third of the movie is very it it very much feels it it really feels like you're just watching like oh this is just Goodfellas again. Yeah, right. <laughs> in in a lot of ways, and it's not until like um, I think I think you're. The, the first part where it starts to get a little spy movie-ish would be about, it's about 48 minutes in. That's the part where Fitzy gets picked up and Matt Damon poses as his lawyer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I want to talk about this scene. Yeah, he basically has the, the surveillance behind the two-way mirror shut off the camera. He's basically like, look, I, I'm not going to get anything out of him if he knows he's being recorded. So I'll just pretend to be a lawyer. So he comes in, which, or we'll talk about this later. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he Infernal goes in. Affairs, right? Yeah, Infernal Affairs. It's the, it's the exact same scene. But anyway, uh, uh, he basically pretends to be an attorney and basically tells him, hey, I'm one of Costello's guys. And he was able to get away with it because he convinces the surveillance team to shut the camera off. So that he could talk about it. I think this was done a little bit better in Infernal Affairs, but we'll get to it later. Anyway, uh, he basically tells him, call your mother. Tell her you're not going to make it home. And that apparently is code word within the, the mob that they're burned. Because at that point, uh, the wherever their headquarters are set up with all their drugs and money and guns and stuff, they just torch the whole place and leave. So that the 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 police department can't get onto them. You know, this whole idea of like the cop realizing like, Hey, the perp doesn't know what his lawyer looks like. I'm going to post like, I'm going to post as the lawyer. Right. That's something, <laughs> that's something we've seen before. You know, the cop has this genius idea and he's going to go in and he's going to pretend to be the guy's lawyer. And it's right. super shady, obviously. But right. we're sitting there thinking like, oh, man, oh, this cop, he's like he's like three dimensional chessing this thing. Yeah. But this, I think, was like uh, what makes this a surprising one is that the guy going in to pretend to be the lawyer is doing it for the opposite reason. He's not going in there to, uh, to like fool the guy. He's going in to fool the guys that he's on the other side of the mirror. Right, and and he's trying to pass a message. So this is when the tradecraft really starts. You know, he's basically slipping a message to this guy uh, right under the noses of the police department. And it is, but I'm gonna quibble. Like I'm giving it major like style points, but prying around the edges i you know i don't think that i don't think it deserves actual like legitimate plus five points and i'll tell you a few reasons why like um if the raid was already on its way and matt damon knows that 
Right. Well, okay, he could have just called Nichols. He could have just called Costello. Uh-huh. Okay, maybe you could say, well, maybe there's not enough time, you know. But I don't know. Costello can immediately call his guys. Right. Um, I'm not sure you need Fitzy to make the call. Well, no, then that really does implicate it. Yeah, you're right. I think that was just kind of like thrown in there. He comes out, he hands the phone to Brown. Right. Um, he passes the phone to him and says, like, here, here, look at this. We we know what number he dialed now. Right. <laughs> uh, which is like, okay, um, how is that? That's not actually helping your side. It it looks cool. Maybe, I don't know, like, where does that go, too? Like, uh, you know, maybe he just knows, like, that Frenchie's smart enough to toss that phone in a dumpster and get another. It looks great. It's a really fun scene, and it sets us up. This is our first taste of some of the cool, super cool tradecraft that's going to come up. But uh, I'm not actually going to give it plus actual plus five points because when I really think about it, I think like there's there's too many moving parts that are just set up to create a really cool looking scene. Then there is actual like um, you know tradecraft that you could, for instance, do in real life. Right. Right. Later, we start getting to, you know, and this movie kind of, like, proceeds in just a series of episodes, a series of events. Each of them kind of plays out on its own uh, in certain ways, usually with the cops saying, like, God damn it! We can't fucking get anything done here! <laughs> and yeah. usually with uh, one, one cop calling another cop a cocksucker and, and, <laughs> and somebody getting punched in the face and getting dragged off uh, by a bunch of other cops. Uh, which begs the question, where is the Boston PD HR department in this movie? <laughs> right. Like, there's there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of touchiness. Yeah. These guys. <laughs> right. By the time, okay, so the, one of these chapters, you know, is the, the whole microchip problem. Uh, Costello's got his hands on a bunch of microchips. We want to catch them red-handed with the microchips. And we can build a federal case, blah, 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 blah. Um, by the time, you know, they set that up a little in the story, but, uh, when they do like the raid part, I'm a little annoyed that, uh, Martin Sheen, who is, uh, you know, El Cap's handler, mm-hmm. um, has told Alec Baldwin, who's the head of the special investigations unit that's trying to catch Costello, and by extension told everyone in the SIU, that he has a mole in Costello's crew. Right. I think that's dumb. You can keep that shit to yourself. I think there's plenty of ways that you could assist the SIU mm-hmm. with their raid without directly saying, like, my guy is on point. Yeah. He's feeding us direct information right now. And you basically shouting it out to everybody kind of told the the uh, Costello's mole that that uh, undercover cop was in that room with everybody. Mm-hmm. Martin uh, Sheen is not a great spy master. No, no. And I, I don't think he's one of the best that we've had. Uh, but another thing I wanted to point out that didn't really make my worst list, but he gets the text from Leo and Leo only has time to text dollar sign. So uh, Martin Sheen realizes, okay, the buyers are there, right? Because they had all got ri- – everybody got rid of their cell phones except for Leo. 
What bugs me is Martin Sheen gets the text, checks his phone, and then turns around and t- into the whole room and goes, the buyers are there. My guy's there. And he's been in the room, and he's heard everyone say there's only one cell phone active. Right. Yeah. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, break up the info a little bit. You know what I mean? And Matt Damon definitely should have told Costello that one of the guys in your crew sent a text at this time in right. that operation, which right. he, he, he doesn't do. No. Lots of minus five points. <laughs> All right. Um, Leo's got the right now, of course, like everyone's pissed about this now. Oh, and also remember like the whole way, the whole reason, the whole reason that, um, that sting operation goes bad is actually because they, uh, there were, there was a spot where there were no cameras, right? The guy who set up the cameras didn't set up any cameras in the back and they had really bad angles. And, and I guess this is Matt Damon's doing or something. No, I think that I think the movie wants you to think that at the moment, right? Because because the movie's not ready yet to reveal to you that uh, Costello has guys on on the FBI side of things. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And it and it's the FBI that set up the cameras, so it's really Costello's other contact, right. which we never get a resolution on, right? Right. Um. That, that really protected him during this mission. But at this point, uh, the movie doesn't want Matt Damon to know that, doesn't want us to know that. Uh, but it kind of, like, you know, if you're just, like, filing it through, it kind of looks like Matt Damon is the one that um, uh, protected Jack uh, Costello from getting busted. But really, he didn't do anything to... to... Well, he did, he did say no phones. Yeah, no phones. Right. But, which is great, and that's, I think, the little bit of misdirection that is done by the movie, because that's cool, and we're focused on that, and we're paying attention to the fact that Matt Damon is helping Costello, which he is, but it's not actually the critical piece of information of turn off your phones that ends up protecting them. It's the camera blind spot, which was arranged by the feds, and I assume that was, uh, uh, you know, arranged by Costello's federal contact guy right and they kind of there's a i guess a dock behind the building that they just get away with from by getting in the boats and leaving i guess they didn't know we had a navy yeah (laughs) both this is so this is where we're turning up the heat and this is where it really clicks into becoming a spy movie because it's at this point we've handed the information to matt damon that uh, Martin Sheen has a mole in Costello's gang, and, and we've given the information to El Caps that Costello has a mole in some somewhere in the, 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 the Boston SIU. police. Right. He doesn't become SIU at this point. Uh, this, right. Actually, this is when he gets promoted or quote unquote promoted, and everybody hates him. Um, but yeah. At this point, I think he was just a detective or like a head detective or something. But um, Leo's going nuts. Well, yeah, the heat, like you were saying, the heat's really turned on. Leo's going nuts. It's like they knew everything. They knew everything going on. There's someone on the inside. And Leo basically, you know, proposes, you know, 
a Barry and Mio, like we've discussed, put out disinformation to the SIU and let it filter through and see who picks up on it. And it was a great idea. And then Marky Mark's just like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Call me when you got something. You know, like, like, like he treats him like dirt, like pretty much the whole movie, but he's also like kind of protecting him like as his most important piece. It's uh, made my number two worst that nobody listened to Leo and our Martin Sheen are like not super master level spy master uh, didn't think about running a barium meal at all. Uh, and it was actually Jack Costello who considered running one. Martin Sheen does just seem to be like sitting around waiting for El Caps to just magically like do something. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, it does kind of really show the overwhelming advantage that crime has over law enforcement. It's one thing to find something that you don't know what to look for. It's another thing when you're actively trying to do something, which is organized crime. They've already set up a network and already know how to run under the radar. And so it kind of shows that. But like, yeah, I agree. Martin Sheen and Marky Mark could have put their heads together. I don't I don't know. They just kind of make him look like a dick. Like, yeah, go fuck yourself. I don't know. But this is my number two worst. <laughs> we'll let in, it go. In, instead of doing something cool like that, like what, yeah. we, what we would suggest, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they go and try to intimidate Costello for no reasons that I can think of. No, it was silly. It was kind of like trying to put pressure on him, but it didn't really work. Yeah, and what did you expect? All you did was, like, you know, tip your hand and let him know that the heat's on. Yeah. That's, my, that's minus five points. Yeah. But it's at this point that Leo finds out that Costello is protected by FBI because he's an informant. Now, of course, this is at this point, this is just like uh, a rumor. I mean, it's just one guy, one drug dealer or something. I don't know. Low level. Oh, yeah. Whatever. We didn't really Lucky. meet very much of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he passes that information to Sheen. Yeah. And I think this is a huge amount of more minus five points for Sheen. Or maybe for the film, because she never follows up on that at well, there's all. Well, a, there's a point later on where Sheen, like, yeah, the FBI's no good. They're all blah, blah, blah. So there was only, like, one little line that didn't really do much. But, I mean, it, I think it just added more, I guess, heavy lifting for he does, Sheen. He, yeah. does put, he does put the information in his records right. for, for Matt Damon to find out much later in the film after Sheen dies. Right. But, I, you know, that's not the kind of information you should just put in your records and put in the box and go keep on just whistling past the graveyard. Do something about that. Yeah, but what's he going to do? Call the FBI? He doesn't know who's working for who in the FBI. He probably doesn't have his own con. You know, it's probably a safe play for him because he doesn't want the information out that they know the FBI is. So it kind of puts them... In a really, really more uh, uh, in a worse situation than they were because they can't really go anywhere else and they're on their own at this point. And it's literally just Martin Sheen, Marky Mark, and 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 Leo doing all the heavy lifting, while you know uh, Costello has like this whole network of 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 help, I guess. <laughs> sure. And there's only so long that the movie can be, and there's only so much you know stuff that you know you have a lot of characters here doing a lot of things there's only so much you can like actually show uh you know without the story becoming like 
you know, completely incomprehensible to anybody. But I also don't want to be an apologist for the movie, and I still just want to flag bad spot points when I see them, even if I understand that the movie's got to do what it's got to do. Yeah. But I, I, I see what you're saying that, like, you know, I see what you're talking about, about, like, well, what is he supposed to do? Right. I, I just think he's supposed to do something. Yeah, but it, like, you can't call the FBI, you know? I, I, unless there's like an FBI internal affairs unit, and if that's the f- case, then how's he gonna find out about them? Like, who, like that's my point. Is who does he report it to? Um, because he doesn't know who's who on the FBI, and I guess he wouldn't have hit FBI contacts himself. I guess I don't know. I don't know. That's why you maybe uh, run that barium meal. Uh, take, exactly. take take Alec Baldwin to lunch. Yeah. Have take <laughs> invite Alec Baldwin to sit down with you at a park bench. Yeah. <laughs> tell him, tell nobody else and you know, again, like do the Leo play. Let, put something juicy down the pipe and see if it comes out on the other end. Right. <laughs> now, on the other side, team team evil while Team Good is just kind of like kind of flailing around and not really doing too great. I mean, El Caps is doing the best he can with a bad situation. I'm not blaming him for anything. Um, but uh, on the other side, Team Evil is working overtime. And, and Matt's got this great idea of, uh, you know, telling Costello, like, hey, look, you got a problem in your crew. I've got access to police databases. Get me some social security numbers. I'll and I'll I'll give you your rat. Yeah, that's great, right? Yeah, really good idea. And then Leo kind of gives uh, fake information, uh, which which was a good play on his. Uh, but then he just like took off. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, it should have been a bigger red flag. I think he gets asked about it later, and he's just kind of like, "Look, you've accused me two, three times of." of being untrustworthy, you know, there's only some amount of time that I got to just be like, dude, you either trust me or you don't. I'm fucking leaving. Right. And I thought that was a little bit of a tattered end in the, in the story, like where, you know, they, they say like, you know, they call everyone to the bar and they say, you're not leaving. Give, give the information and nobody's supposed to leave. Right. But like, what was the point of that? Like, obviously at some point they all did leave. Uh-huh. Like, what were they waiting for? Were they, I, I think at the time, as an audience member, I'm sitting there thinking, like, holy shit, Matt Damon's going to run these social security numbers, like, right fucking now. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and like you're fucked. And that's why I'm with Leo in the, in a support his decision to, like, not stick around. Right. I'll deal with the fallout of disobeying orders later. Um, but... Again, like like you said, like should have been a much bigger red flag to them than it was. Minus five points for them. I mean, they know Leo's a live wire. That's why they hired him because he just up and beat the shit out of some Italian mobsters. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it. it, it I mean, that's kind of who they hired, and it, it makes sense for him. But still, yeah, I think it should have been a much bigger deal. Yeah. But I don't understand his stand is why everybody should have stayed there. Like, well, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. It seemed like, you know, the, the idea was, like, stay there and Matt Damon will run the numbers right now. 
Right. Uh, and then we'll find out, and then we'll shoot that fucking prick, whatever yeah. Matt Damon says. Whoever <laughs> right. Matt Damon says to shoot, shoot yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he does event, but but he doesn't do it in real time. He does do it later in the movie, and he comes up with. Um, this is when we find out that Leo definitely did give uh, incorrect or missing information. Because when Matt Damon does run it, he gets, uh, whatchamacallit, like, person not found. Right. So whatever Leo gave was fake. Right. Um, he also Or bought... was classified. Because in Infernal oh. Affairs it said classified, but this uh, okay. not found, it could be classified information. So it, that, that, sh- that really should have triggered some really big red flags that that information was not found. When, when he's running the numbers, he also gets another person uh, flagged as not found. And it's really fast, and you could you could miss it. Um, but it's the white-haired guy, yeah. uh, name of Delahunt, that right. also comes out as person not found. Right. And we will later uh, be given strong... Now, we don't get definitive proof, in my opinion. But we will be given strong reason to believe that Dela Hunt is also uh, working for the cops. That both right. Dela Hunt and Leo are uh, people that, in that situation of go to the bar, give us your social information, mm-hmm. uh, gave fake information. Yeah. Minus spy points for Matt Damon for never informing Costello of this fact. Right. Because he has plenty of opportunity. And this was his whole like plan. We gave him plus spy points for thinking of this idea. It's a right. great idea. He gets what I mean, what was he expecting to, to find like when he ran the numbers? It would say like police informant yeah. current, <laughs> currently assigned to, you yeah. know. Instead he gets person not found, but that should be that should be suspicious, hugely suspicious. And he should communicate that to Costello. He doesn't. That's why he's getting the minus five points. And if he had, you would say, well, two of you guys gave us bad information. One of you didn't stick around. Leo, you're you're sleeping with the fishes tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's my number three worst uh, that uh, Matt Damon doesn't provide this very important piece of information to Costello. Now, as you said, though, uh, because of... um, I don't know, because of exactly why, again? Like, Alec Baldwin now, like, trusts Matt Damon even more? Yeah, because I think in their golfing scene, he's basically, you have a clean record, and some people think that's uh, uh, suspicious, but I don't, because I have a clean record myself. That's how I got in, basically, internal affairs. That's why I'm in the SIU, because I'm a spotless guy. And you should get married, because getting married is how things work. You know, and that makes people trust you more and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's a very like, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. Hey, we're going to golf, you know, type of scene, which was mm-hmm. also in Infernal Affairs. Oh, yeah. Well, all the good scenes are in Infernal Affairs. Yeah. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And so now, uh, you know, the movie's cranked it up another notch because now Matt Damon is being empowered even higher given an even higher level of trust and uh, carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And his mission is basically to find the mole and he's the mole. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, like he laughs at, you know, he, he they make a joke of it when he meets with Costello in the porn theater, you know. I gotta find myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, of course, is the core plot of uh, 1987's No Way Out with Kevin Costner right. uh, that we're gonna do someday on this podcast. It's a very good movie. Yeah. Costello does have now an envelope. It's got a bunch of social security numbers in it. Uh, we skipped a, we skipped ahead a little to talk about like what Matt Damon does with the envelope and with the information, but he doesn't have it yet. He gets Leo is getting messages from Sheen to follow the envelope and ID the contact, right? Right. Like like follow the envelope, find out who he gives it to. Right. That's that's our mole, right? Well, it was probably a good guess because it's it's a if, it's a decent if they're guess. asking for names and social security numbers, they're probably going to give it to law enforcement to run the numbers. It would be a good lead. Sure, but, you know they have someone that can run that information. I think you just put like everything you got full force cops on this, um, and spot the guy. Yeah, why didn't they? Why didn't they follow him? I absolutely think they should have. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Like, at this point, like, there's no percentage in subtlety, in my opinion. It doesn't matter if Costello knows that his rat is busted. As long as you get the rat, it, they're, they're, they're being overly sneaky at this point. Right. This, this is a point. I, this is a time for brute force and right. not a time for, for sneakiness. Right. That's why, that's why I give it minus five points for, for Sheen again. They they could have found out where he was. They could have, he, the whole time he could have told them I'm at this theater. There's a guy running down the street with a yellow envelope that I crossed out. Citizen spelled wrong and spelled it correctly. There should have been cops all over the street. Any anybody that Sheen could trust. Right. You know, Dignam should have been out there. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe that's why. Because they don't know who the mole is at this point, and putting out a big. Uh, order like that, right? So yeah, I understand you could you could spoil the milk if you took it too far. But again, back to your thing of like always have a team. Yeah, like, it, I, I yes. just think I just think this is a place where they were just a little too subtle and yeah. a little too sneaky, and just you know, uh, I don't know, fucking just pick four or five guys, or just like I said, like you trust Dignam, right? You trust yeah. Marky Mark, right? Marky, have him, Mark's not, Marky Mark's not going to fucking turn on you. Yeah, yeah, have him follow him out. The play that Sheen is making here is basically Leo, follow Costello, and you'll find his rat. Right. <laughs> he has this notion in mind. He gives Matt Damon that exact same advice. You know, follow Costello, you'll find a rat. And uh, Matt Damon ends up turning that around in his head. You even see him when he conceives his plan of, like, there's a tiny little bit of flashback of, of Sheen telling him that. And that's when Matt Damon says, like, aha, if I follow <laughs> you, right. I will find your rat. Right. <laughs> Minus spy points for Sheen and plus for Matt Damon. So far, our good guys are not doing too well. No, and this is about when uh, Matt Damon does get promoted to 
to find the rat and he goes to meet with Sheen at the office and everyone in the office is staring daggers at him because he's basically investigating all of them. And Martin Sheen tells Matt Damon, oh, last night my guy spotted the rat, but he got away. And I don't think that was a good idea. It wasn't. It wasn't. This, yeah. is, this is an old man. This is an old man trying to uh, show that he's kind of on the job. Right. You know? Oh, and if he's being investigated, oh, maybe that's what it was. He's being investigated by Internal Affairs. He has to show that he's doing a job. And, uh, but, you know, the way he said it, it was kind of nonchalantly. Like, he just gave the information away. So, he doesn't, I mean, like, there's no reason at this point for him to suspect Matt Damon. But there's no reason for him to tell anybody outside of his circle, hey, by the way, last night, you just gave them a time. My guy, you gave him a person, spotted the rat. At this theater, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's and and if he tells him that 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 information, well, I guess I say, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. It was just this is gonna make my number one worst. I just think I just think it was a bad idea to give all that was a lot of information about the guy's life that you're protecting, who's in a very dangerous situation, and that basically gave Matt Damon the information he needed to. Sp- find like street cameras he finds them to try and spot him i mean he's not able to id the guy but still i think that was i was very very i mean like he could have just been like we're getting close my guy is doing blah 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 yeah but i don't know it was just it, it, i don't know the, the, that information should only be privileged for the people on the inner circle with the undercover you know what i mean yeah i agree i agree uh, goes back to I, I don't I don't I forget how I rated it, but uh, just back to the microchips thing. Like I, I don't think there's any reason to tell the SIU to give them that much information about what. Like even if you don't say who the guy is that's working for you, yeah. it's just as bad to tell them like what your guy is doing. Right, especially where, at that where exact he was. moment. Yeah, where yeah. he was at any I, given. My moment. guy is here at this moment. Talking to the people, and he's giving me information right now as we're speaking. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it was. It, I don't know. It was a lot. A lot of. A lot of. You know, what Martin Sheen did was kind of um, uh, lazy, I guess. I I would call him the worst spy in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> if if we were gonna rank all the characters. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's his mistakes that make. But again, it's his mistakes or or lapses of of acuity that let the story proceed the way the story wants to go. Yeah. Uh, Costello is uh, really um, really freaking out now, and and starting also. I think this is where Costello starts like doing a shit ton of coke and 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 acting even crazier than he was before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, um, you know, I was really looking forward to, I, I looked up, you know, cause I had understood that, uh, Nicholson did a, a bunch of improv improvisation uh-huh. in the film. And you know, that scene where he like, you know, he, like he has his little talk with Leo, which is creepy as fuck and terrifying, but you know how he like walks away and then Frenchie's talking to El Caps. Right. And then, and then, uh, Jack Nicholson's creeping up behind, like putting his finger to his lips, like shh, 
and making little little cheese-eating rat faces behind El Caps. Like, I was so looking forward to finding out that that was improvised, but I couldn't find it. But it uh... feels it that just feels like Jack Nicholson improvisation energy to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Instead, there's some stupid story about like in that scene where uh, Jack. In Castell- well, Jack Nicholson in this case, because we're talking about the actor, and uh, and Leo are talking that uh, the gun he pulls on Leo is a real gun, and for some reason, everyone in Hollywood is like, "Oh, teehee! Oh, that Jack Nicholson, he's a funny guy." <laughs> but I'm like, no, that's horrifying. Like, there, you should like, there should not be a real gun. Anywhere within ten miles of a of a set where you're. Well, all the Hollywood guns are real guns. They just use blanks, don't they? I got. Well, I. I don't was know. it? Are you saying it was loaded or something? I I don't know. Just that's the like the the articles I found was like that uh, Leo found out later that it was a real gun and it, I don't know uh, g- gave him like even more respect for Jack Nicholson as an actor. <laughs> it just seems like it just seems like kind of bullshit to me. Yeah. But uh in that scene Leo does I mean he stands his ground pretty well. You talked before about like the fact, you know, he's like hey, you fucking threatened me once, you know, like and and talks about you know, I I I'm not going to I'm you can only push me so far, Frank. Right. Like at some point you, you're gonna terrify me into the place where I will snap, and but he does a really good job too of like uh, kind of also planting these ideas in Costello's head about like you don't uh, you don't pay really well, you know you got a lot of guys that are angry you're not nice to anybody you know there's plenty of guys that want your ass. I mean he does as best as he can. Yeah, I'll give him plus five points. You know, and he plays to Costello's ego. You know, yeah. heavy lies the crown. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's like, look, I don't, I don't want to be you or something. I think I could do your job, but I don't want to do your job. You know. <laughs> so he can he can only you could do your job. You know. You know, heavy lies. Yeah, I love that line. Heavy lies the crown. He really does play to his ego. That was good. Mm-hmm. But uh, Costello's definitely not as, you know, it's one of those, uh, case, I don't know, the, uh, oh, who's that? Uh, now I'm thinking of, like, Peter Faulkner, uh, who, Columbo. Uh, oh, Peter just, Falk. Yeah, I'm going somewhere with this. Is that, like, he constantly, like, looks like he has no fucking clue what he's doing, but he actually yeah. does. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and And Costello's like that here, you know? Like, he... Uh, he runs like he runs the barium meal situation, you know. The p- put some false information in and and see if it comes out on the other side against Leo, right? And that's and that's smart. So he's, I mean, he's thinking, he's doing his job. He's getting plus five points for running the proper play, the proper tradecraft play for this situation. Yeah, and which it turns up dry. So even though he does run a good play, Leo doesn't pass on the information. Uh, so I guess he might have figured out it would be a bad idea or it's not helpful. I don't remember. Or does he just not have an opportunity? But it basically, like, clears Leo. 
Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give the plus five points also to Costello for trying it, but even more for Leo for dodging the bait. Because, again, we have established that Leo has got a proper spy's mind. Right. You know, he understands this kind of disinformation play. Right. Uh, you know, he was the first person in the movie to bring this kind of subject up. So, right. uh, yeah, so I believe that I'm, I'm happy to think that he dodged the bait intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, that envelope is out there. And so that's turning up the heat on Leo. Like, maybe he thinks, like, my life is on a timer. It's, it's a matter of time. And we're going to cut it here for this episode. We've set up the movie and all the characters and established that the Leo DiCaprio character is now in some serious threat of being found out. Next week, we'll start off with the clusterfuck of a rooftop meeting scene where things go from bad to worse for our hero. We'll discuss the twin climaxes of the film and still have some time to talk about infernal affairs before we go to ratings and reviews. As always, the best way to make sure you don't miss out on that is to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Google, and your favorite podcast app. Also, if you can find updates on our Facebook page or website, spieslikeus.net. And please, if you can help us out and give us some feedback by rating us and leaving comments. We're always trying to improve the show and your thoughts would be a big help. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.